and I really wanted to be able to help people ultimately make sense and understand security and have it way more accessible. And what I talk about is becoming a first-class citizen of the business in terms of that work. Yeah, A lot of yeah. that work sort of gets stuffed into various general-purpose tooling and forgotten about half the time or just sort of left as, you know, priority number 17 on, on a long list of things to do. I want to see that elevated to, to becoming, you know, really a first-class citizen of the business. The New Zealand Tech Podcast, brought to you by Gorilla Technology, proactive and strategic IT. Hey folks, greetings and welcome along to the New Zealand Tech Podcast. I'm your host, Paul Spain. Uh, we're back for 2023, and although this is now our first episode, it's our first real live in-person recorded in 2023 <laughs> episode. So uh, great to be back. I uh, hope everyone had a great break. And before we get started, a big thank you to our show partners, Vodafone, Gorilla Technology, Two Degrees, Spark and HP for their support of the New Zealand Tech Podcast and the broader tech and innovation ecosystems here in New Zealand. We're joined today by Phil Howie, who's the CEO and founder at Onwardly. Welcome along, Phil. Welcome. Thanks for having me on board. It's great to be back from holiday, back into the full swing of things, uh, you know, uh, shaking off the holiday haze and, and uh, <laughs> booting up the brain again to, uh, to get back into it. Yeah. So thanks for having me on, on the show. Oh, it's great. Well, first time. So you better give um, listeners a bit of an intro of, you know, where you fit into this uh, big, bad world of uh, technology in New Zealand. <laughs> Indeed. Well, thanks again for having me. It's it's nice to be on the show for the first time, and uh, and and no doubt I'd love to have you on on our show as well. But uh, uh, I'm so my name's Phil. I have been in the tech industry here in New Zealand for probably about twenty years. Uh, I'm currently founder and CEO of Armadly, and we're a cybersecurity SaaS platform, which is helping other organisations and and startups really build, manage, and scale their their whole security program out. So, making it way more accessible and easy uh, for them to achieve that. Uh, through through a software platform, so that's keeping me pretty busy at the moment. Uh, we're a small team based here in Auckland, with you know global plans to take over the world one day. Well, um, you know another another Kiwi success story. Working hard on that, um, but I've been in the sort of tech space for around about two decades. Here started uh, as as a web designer, really in the in the noughties, and headed up and and more recently spent uh, about six or seven years at Pushpay. I was employee number one there, and sort of had a baptism of fire through startup world and more recently have gone on to to found found Omidly at the beginning of the pandemic great oh well, it's really really exciting to have you on the show been um looking forward to having this uh, happen and look it's a, it's a good time as well because we kicked into the new year there's some pretty interesting news today we'll, we'll, we'll talk a, a little bit about yeah, a few things from over the, mm. the holiday break i've had a, had a bit of a, a chance to uh, compare our mobile networks around the uh, around the country, so that's interesting. We've got some questions around whether New Zealand should be banning uh, TikTok, which was a question uh, posed yesterday on on TV3. Of course, in that context, you get a, a very short space to sort of delve into the topic, so I thought it's a good one to, to delve into a yep. little bit more. Also, uh, Tesla making a Kiwi uh, Chinese member of their team, um, what appears to be the the number two in uh, in Tesla, pretty much. In fact, it was even rumoured late last year that he was going to be the the new CEO take over entirely, but seems to have taken the the two uh, IC position to Musk. So we'll delve into that one bit there on uh, on CES and and some of the the cool things coming out of uh, CES into a couple of quite you know current topics. 
uh, on mm. cybersecurity and, of course, a chance to delve in and, and hear about Onwardly and, and some sure. of the Onwardly story. First up, uh, I guess this time I've spent outside of home, outside of Auckland, sort of, you know, tripping around the country in, you know, my case, doing that in the Tesla. Um, so getting a chance to get a feel for how our charging networks have, have mm. been around the country has, um, you know, been quite interesting to uh, to look at. I think actually we're doing pretty well from that perspective. I think, we, you know, we've seen a huge uptick in the number of electric vehicles on the, on the road. Yeah, they're everywhere. Uh, in New Zealand, and it's probably felt maybe for Tesla owners that, hey, there should be more Tesla charging around the place, but I also see the sort of the, the challenge. I mean, they're, they're unique in that they're the one automaker that has their own EV yeah. uh, you know, charging lo- locations, and those grow, it feels sort of fairly, uh, fairly slowly, but actually most of the time you turn up and... They're, they're not very busy unless it's kind of a holiday weekend or a, or a very busy time. I think the one place I turned up at and almost had to wait was uh, Hamilton. Uh, <laughs> That's a very New Zealand thing, isn't it? I almost had to wait for this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> in other countries, queuing is just kind of a way of life, but I think we're sort of allergic to it here. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, very, very good. And, yeah, I, I think, yeah, pretty much... Trying to think if there were any other points that I had to, we had to generally, you know, queue for uh, for EV, EV EV charging. There are, there are a few interesting spots where you've got things like um, the warehouse and some of their locations. They have sort of reasonably fast charging, right. um, about half the speed of the typical sort of charge net EV charger but linked to the charge net network so you can see whether they're available and so on mm. that are completely free which is, is That's kind, kind of, of nice. odd how many malls did um, you end up having to go to <laughs> as part of your uh, road trip we stopped where where it was sort of convenient mm. you know where you could stop for a meal or you wanted to grab some a drink or you know coffee or what have you and maybe i was a, a little bit what's the word when you're staying with friends and family Sometimes, you know, in fact, I turned up at uh, brother's place at Wellington and it was very early in the morning having, having got an offer overnight type ferry sailing. I think it sailed at 2.30 a.m. And, and came in at 6. <laughs> and so, uh, yeah, there was, a, there was a cable dangling out the window if we wanted to plug in and charge right. and uh, <laughs> note on the door where to sleep and so on. So... That's a nice touch, isn't it? They left, yeah. the, left that extension that, that cord was, out that for was, you. That was pretty That's cool. Right. And then I and then I didn't use. It. I was like, ah, no, we'll be fine. There's a there's a Tesla charger in Wellington now, but it was actually far enough away that I didn't use it until we were heading north north again. But yeah, there's generally lot. You know, it's good options. I think we had one scenario uh, with one place we stopped, and uh, there's probably there are some safety aspects probably to running a cable out the window sort of sort of thing. But we hit one particular location where they're like, oh, all our power, you know, went offline when somebody plugged in an EV. And uh, even though they had official EV chargers there, they didn't want anyone to plug in an EV. Mm. Um, so that was probably <laughs> a little bit more of a, a preference of the uh, the owner, not in the direction of EVs. Right. Um, Fair enough. But, yeah, generally mm. pretty good infrastructure. Went to Tiano and then took the um, took the road to Milford, Milford Sound. 
Milford Sound didn't have any EV charging because they're not on the national grid. So you got some uh, scenarios right. like right. that, and you just you know you just had to think about it. It wasn't it wasn't any sort of issue in terms of the actual range. You know we had enough to get didn't there, get, get back, and stop lots of times along the way for photos and wandering yep. around and so on for you know see the sights. Yeah, so I think we're we're in a position as far as that's concerned. Um, yeah, got to look at sort of comparison with our mobile networks between Vodafone, Spark and Two Degrees. And we had uh, Mark Callender on a few months ago from Two Degrees. He was touting how, how good their network is and, you know, hey, we're as good as the other guys sort of thing. And, um, yeah, I guess it had probably been a while since I had, had tried their network, but, um, you know, I wasn't quite sure. Whether, whether there was any sort of validity to that. Um, but what I found now is actually the, you know, the three networks um, are, are reasonably similar in terms of coverage. Where right. the difference seems to be is whether you're getting, you know, basically where, what what speed you're getting out of the network. And, um, but yeah, most often the, the areas where where I found that there, there say wasn't coverage and uh, yeah, the Milford Sound, um, Trip was was one of those examples, and there are a few spots around the country where there are sort of you know black spots, which you know, yep. I know the government's been investing into uh, uh, to improve, which is which is awesome. Um, but yeah, generally it, it just comes down to who's got the who's got the better speed in a in a given situation how, how more you... more often than than one mm. network's got coverage and the others don't. I mean, there was a little bit there was a little bit of that, yeah. um, but it was as much more even. Than, than I would have than I would have you know guessed or certainly right. from where we were a few years ago. It's most of the time you just yeah. live on one network, don't you? So it's hard to it's, yeah. you're often not really doing the comparison. Yeah. So how did you do all three? Did you sort of have different SIM cards, or were you just running um, on different phones? So ones two two uh, phones, iPhone, Android. iPhone had an eSIM. Oh yeah. And yes, had a SIM, and then Android had a SIM in it. And so mm. yeah, you got that good comparison. Um, but the, the speed, you know. For two degrees, that was what I probably primarily used for data, and if we were tethering, I used two degrees for that. And I can't think that there were there were too many times where where I found the experience frustrating that I had to yeah. you know flip across to one of the other connections. There were probably probably one or you know one or two scenarios where where I did, um, but it yeah it was it was it was pretty good. Right. Pretty fast. I mean, I, I I was well I, a few years back now. Put a uh, you know one of the, we looked at putting broadband into a a batch in in I think it was Tyra and Coromandel, mm. Mm. and you know putting a copper trying to get a copper line and uh, you know a, a, a setup on a copper line was going to be weeks and it was going to be a nightmare. It was going to be expensive and probably quite slow. Uh, and so you know Spark had come out with the little four G modems and it was just basically perfect. It was awesome speed setup. It was about fifteen minutes. Put it anywhere, and it's just using cellular data, yeah. and it serves the whole house. People watch Netflix and all sorts of stuff on it, um, and it's really, really good, you know. Uh, yeah. And so, yeah, we're pretty lucky, I think. Yeah, uh, we we are. So, and it's it's good to have that competition. Of course, you know, mileage is going to vary depending on where you are. I, you know, I think there's a there's a role for um, Starlink, and you know, fact in the the recent uh, chat that I had mm. with. Um, uh, Tony Baird, the CTO at Vodafone, he was talking about Starlink being being an option now for them to, 
you know, drop a sales site in a location, it needs to get backhaul and communicate with the rest <coughs> of the network. Right. And so yeah. I was thinking, actually, it was on the on the way to Milford Sound when I was in a spot with no coverage. I was thinking, wow, yeah, that would actually be quite transformational. You could drop a cell site absolutely anywhere, and as long as you can get some sort of, you know, power generation, mm. uh, that's that's not too expensive. And you know, who knows whether they maybe need a, a commercial, um, you know, variant and and exactly you know, what, what they'd be paying, but the fact that they could get that satellite backhaul to put a cell site in a location that otherwise would cost, you know, many millions of dollars to, mm. to connect up potentially, uh, that's brilliant. Yeah, I mean, surely camper vans and yachts and things are pretty obvious examples for that as well, you know, where you, you're you probably likely out of out of significant coverage for, for long periods of time, mm. for sure, yeah. Yeah, well, I did I did see there was a photo went, went around... Um, when Starlink started coming out of somebody that had a um, be a Starlink dish attached to the front of their Tesla or something, for, <laughs> you know, uh, probably just mucking around. But uh, yeah, there's a lot lot more options now, right? I was listening to, uh, I was reading some some other news recently about some of the predictions that Starlink will actually go public this year and and probably be worth some somewhere north of seventy five billion dollars. So you know, significant um, mm. and pretty impressive technology. For sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, other thing on the trip that I, I used, um, I visited the folks at uh, Ferntech uh, shortly before I headed away and picked up the um, uh, DJI Mini 3 Pro and they've also, around the same time, they launched the DJI Mini 3, which is a, a slightly lower cost but you know, has a lot of similar technology in it but it, it's a a lower price point, um, and picked one of those up, and um, yeah, had got to. There were a few locations where I was able to um, able to fly that, and um, yeah, really a big step up from the. I'd had the tiny little, or well, the original DJI Mini, uh, which I think is probably sold under the name DJI Mini SE these mm. days, and yeah, that was maybe you know six, seven. $800 depending on you know how you buy it with a fly mm. more kit or just the basic one uh, before and that that really that really impressed me um, that end up smashing it up though uh, <laughs> in fact two of them so what I liked about the um, the mini 3 pro better video better I guess sort of range because it's using DJI's own um, RF tech rather than just Wi-Fi for the communication. Sure. Uh, and the fact that it's actually got some collision avoidance sensors, as long as you're not flying it sideways, so you have uh, to be have to be a, to the a, test. A, a little a little bit <laughs> careful uh, on that front. But I didn't didn't smash it up, um, and yeah, but de- definitely pretty pretty impressed with mm. it. And the other thing with the um, uh, just the plane mini was you had to use your uh, your cell phone to be sort of the, the screen for the controller. Um, right. And one of the options with the Mini 3 and the Mini 3 Pro uh, is you can get the uh, remote control with Proper a, remote with control, a, with a yeah. full screen in it. I think, I think you're, it's effectively got a sort of modded um, Android phone, you know, built into it with, with, without the SIM module. Yeah. Um, so that yeah, that was just a, a slicker experience because you could just you know get up and running very very quickly and um, you know throw your throw your drone up. Um, on the flip side, there's a lot of places you can't you can't fly, 
So we went to, for instance, uh, the Meraki boulders and okay. um, uh, in Otago, and I was thinking, oh, I wonder what this would be like, you know, f- on um, on video. And I had a look, and there was a YouTube of someone sort of flying through there, you know, maybe a week or two before we were there, and I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. And then I Googled what are the council regulations in the area, and like, no, you have to have gone through and you know, num- yeah, and got approval before you can fly. So mm. I'm not sure whether that whoever took that video mm. uh, did maybe that they want to quietly take that down or, or not. Uh, they get a call um, from the council, so, uh, <laughs> and whether the councils really do anything about mm. it, because I think probably all of us have been somewhere where you wouldn't probably really like drones sort of flying over and, and mm. maybe there's even signs up saying no drones and you know, you're in an incredible part of New Zealand and there's drones flying around and uh, yeah, Milford Sound was one of those spots where it was no drones and um, actually I can't remember whether we, whether we saw any drones there but yeah, you've got an airport there that's you know right there so you need to be very careful about that sort of thing. There's a lot of wisdom yeah. for, for not flying drones in some of these places but Hopefully people, people are get getting the message. There yeah. was a little bit of – there was some the increasingly urgent you know, uh, messaging coming from sort of Auckland Airport about drones being spotted a while back, you know, sort of seemingly every other day or every other week. It was, it was quite terrifying. It sounded like it was only a matter of time before mm. a plane flew into one. Um, but haven't heard as much about that. I'm not sure if it's – I mean, imagine it's still a risk for sure, but hopefully some of the public messaging has, has got out there and is working. Uh, yeah, look, I, I think yeah. – yeah, you know, you've got um, you've got the Airshare app, which gives you advice on where you should and shouldn't be yeah. um, flying, which is is uh, is helpful. But you do have to look up the local council you know, regulations and so on as well. Um, so yeah, worth doing that stuff. If you're going to fly a drone, but uh, it's amazing how far drones have come over the sort of I don't know, last I'm trying to work out how many years, twelve years yeah. that we've been doing yeah. this show. The very early ones that we'd be getting sent. Uh, you know, in the early days of NZ Tech podcast, to just the, the the quality of the drones now, how they just can sit in the air so still, and the the video footage just you know absolutely stunning, you know, broadcast quality from a you know sub thousand dollar mm. you know drone in some cases. So uh, yeah, really cool. Now, a um, couple of topics that are that I guess are really you know definitely for for, for us in New Zealand. Um, one was this question around whether New Zealand should be banning banning TikTok. Mm. Um, what are your thoughts about TikTok as a as a as a platform, and in terms of, you know, I guess, some of the data that they collect, and then is TikTok as a company trustworthy, and then is the is <laughs> the environment that they that they operate in sort of politically something that we can feel as though it's okay or or not. I mean, mm. what, what are your thoughts on on maybe how we should analyse this? Those might be the wrong questions. Yeah. I, I mean, I, th- I think there's a long history of social media companies, you know, uh, abusing our privacy. <laughs> uh, so there's nothing new there. I think they've kind of taken it to the n- perhaps to the next level. And then there's some certainly some geopolitical risks there that – perhaps we haven't quite encountered in the same way before. So there are certainly increasingly increasing calls, you know, around the world to, to ban it. Um, some countries have already banned it completely outright. 
think in locally here in New Zealand, uh, members of parliament are not allowed to install it on their phones, so it's already sort of has. Well, they're advised not to. Advised not strongly advised not to. Advise is, not to. Yeah. You'd be, I think, you'd be uh, high risk to do that. Uh, uh, so I think, I think, I think it's cause for concern. You know, there's some really smart people. Mm. Know, Adam Barlow, I think, uh, was quite vocal about this recently. Uh, I, I think it should be approached with a lot of caution. I mean, I, I use it a little bit personally, but it's very, very addictive as well, I think, regardless of sort of the data they have on you, just the whole, the the algorithm and, and everything that, that's put in front of you is kind of like they've hacked your brain. It's amazing um, and quite full on. So I think there's some, definitely some concerns there, not for adults, but for, for kids as well. So I think approached with a lot of caution and, and you're really keeping an eye on what permissions you're giving it, particularly at a technical level, turn everything off, dial it all down, would be the absolute minimum, be a minimum. You know, um, and if you if you're worried, don't install it at all. Probably, and, yeah. Um, you know, yep. it is concerning for sure. Yeah, and look, yeah, they've 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 been issues in the past, haven't they? You know, with them, uh, with with the varying aspects of the app, and yeah, data that's ended up in the in you know in the wrong places, uh, and then there's the sort of the as you say the geopolitical sort of aspects of it. Uh, I mean, you look to the US, and you know, I, I don't think there's you know too many people that would put you know all their faith and and trust in the uh, varying sort of governmental organisations in the US, but most of us would probably feel a, a little bit more sort of relaxed that if something untoward is, is sort of happening. Um, that's being driven by those sort of government entities or even by, you know, by a social network that people are more likely to speak up about it. They're whistleblowers and, you know, these things sort of tend to come mm. out if there's something pretty bad happening. And, and you know, I guess we've, um, you know, we've, we've seen a lot of that with uh, with Meta and so on. Mm. Um, yeah, I think things have been, you know, laid, uh, laid pretty bare. And so that's, that's I guess... The, the alternative in a way uh, to TikTok because if TikTok were to shut down, who's the biggest benefactor? It's gonna it's gonna be Meta because they'll be they'll be you know picking things up right. So mm. it's not just oh, it'll shut down and and people won't spend any more time you know watching content. It'll be more. It'll be you know I guess you know YouTube or or Meta that are gonna. Uh, benefit, bigger. I mean TikTok's you know, bigger than all every other social network combined now. It's I mean, insane, isn't it? Massive. Uh, they've completely destroyed uh, these other social networks from a from a user daily usage point of view and a, and a you know an increasingly revenue and valuation. So uh, they're huge, they're massive, and and very very effective at what they do. Yeah, um, I spoke to two two chaps yesterday. I went uh, went down the road to get my uh, beard trim because I've been I've been growing it over the holiday. <laughs> and TV three wanted to talk about this topic. I was like, oh no, don't come now. Give me a few minutes and uh, I'll go get my beard trim. <laughs> And um, anyway, I, I I turned up after an online booking at this uh, um, barber down the road, and um, and he said, "Oh, you'll just have to wait. There's a few people ahead of you." And I'm like, "I just booked via your app, and um, it's you know, twelve forty-four. I've got a twelve forty-five booking." And and uh, I mentioned that I had to do this interview, and they were like, "Oh no, no, go ahead." And then we had this huge chat around TikTok, and it mm. was quite, it was actually quite fascinating. Um, yeah, one of them was we we looked through his, you know how much time he had spent on it over the last you know last few days, and it was typically around an hour twenty, 
every single yeah. day. The other chap said he had actually written, um, he'd done a project on TikTok while he was while he was, I think, at high school, which is you know, finished up in, in university now. But he had written this paper on what he felt were the, the inherent risks of the platform. Mm. But even he said, oh, yeah, I'm on there, and he had a look, and, you know, he's spending 50 minutes a day on it, even though he's actually even convinced he's aware of it. that, it's, yeah. that it's probably, you know, not, not a good platform. And so you've got this sort of challenge of just, you know, how addictive it is. I guess it's, it's you know, like, like any addiction, right? You kind of might know that that thing's bad, but it's not necessarily, uh, one, you know, once you're into it, it's not necessarily an easy thing to go, oh, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll flag that. I'll, mm. uh, I'll stop Doesn't smoking, mean you I'll stop smoking yeah, uh, right. today because I know that's bad. It's like you know, <laughs> there's, there's a little bit more, uh, you know, cha- mm. challenge to it. And then, you know, if we step back to that sort of that bigger picture from a, a national perspective, if, you know, if the government actually says, okay, we're, we're, we're cancelling uh, TikTok in, in New Zealand – then how, do, how, does that, how does that play out? It's going to impact some people's businesses because there are yep. some businesses that have invested a lot. Um, I spoke to the founder and owner of um, uh, the Kiwi Water Park in, uh, in Cromwell um, on the New Zealand Business Podcast or the uh, New Zealand Sales and Marketing Insider recently. And um, yeah, they're getting millions and millions of views on TikTok. That's, how, that's kind of how they've, they've built the business, right? Yeah. So yeah. if that disappeared overnight, I mean, it might it might cost them maybe half a million dollars in terms of um, you know lo- lost business, right? So mm. it's not there's there's, some there's some complexities to, yeah. to to making these changes, yeah. aren't there? I mean, people are probably making their living off it as well. Influencers and people like that are is really really big, you know, not just um, traditional businesses, but like influencers who will be earning quite considerable money and and all that sort of stuff as part of their world. As well, so yeah, I think there'd be a lot of angry twelve-year-olds <laughs> as well, <laughs> no doubt, uh, throughout the country. But look, I think it has to be considered, and and especially in light of being an election year, I'm, I don't, I'm not too alarmist about this, but I think there are some some genuine concerns. Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess the small chunk that they took on the TV three story yesterday from me, um, or one one of the the two was. That I'd be more comfortable if it wasn't operating in New Zealand. How do how do you feel? Yeah, I I mean it's hard to ban completely because it's. I mean, how do you do? You know, do you block it at an IP address level? Like, how does that right, even right. work? Right? Yeah, like, yeah. Sure, you, you could can probably, always get around. You could remove from the app store maybe, but it's it's on mm. it's a website. Mm. It's kind of everywhere. I think that's hard to do in some ways technically. I don't know. I I kind of had a really strong opinion on this. I, I think I should be approached with caution and watched pretty carefully. Mm. Um, but banning banning is probably a fairly drastic move. But not that many countries are prepared to fully do. You know that that uh, that are you know Western countries. I guess pretty unusual. So isn't it's pretty it? unusual. Pretty to unusual ban an app. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I don't, can't think of too many apps which are just outright banned uh, in New Zealand right now. Mm. You know that that are approved on the store but actually banned for. For yeah. what other reasons, you know? I guess the yeah. topic came up because this is sort of is really being pushed US mm. wise, mm. Um, you know, where where it's been blocked at a at a government level to you know to a large degree, and and the debate you know is ongoing around can't you know basically blocking it, um, you know, completely in the US. So I think it's mm. going to be an interesting one to follow. I think if there is a ban, 
in the US, we might see more than the current state where yeah, I think India is the you know the high-profile location where where it's been banned to date. So. I think there's more data, more evidence is gathered on how it's being abused that will fuel the case mm. for more and more. You know, mm. like I, I was reading some of the other day about you know journalist IP address. You know, location data was being was being gathered out of out the to, to to check basically you know to be used against them. And so as you start to see more abuses of people's privacy and human rights, yeah, uh, I think yeah. you're gonna you know make a pretty strong case. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Um, now, quite a big one. I noticed nobody seems to really have been sort of talking about it in the in the media. I was sort of maybe expecting a you know a headline around it or something. Was um, we heard about uh, Tom Zhu, who's who was the uh, head of uh, Tesla in in, mm. in China for uh, for some time, and he'd been across in in the US overseeing some operations there. Uh, seems to have been, you know, formally positioned to a, a very senior role now within Tesla. That looks like it is very much the the second in command of of Tesla, and it, I guess it, you know it could be it could be argued that uh, um, that the um, things that we heard late last year that he was going to be the CEO of Tesla that that he that he is in. Uh, or, or <laughs> almost as in, in everything um, but name with the focus that uh, uh, Musk is is putting on on Twitter, um, but he's um, he's a Kiwi. He's got a you know New Zealand passport. He's studied you know a few blocks away from from our studio down at um, you know AUT Auckland University of Technology, um, and uh, yeah, I think it's it's really really cool to see uh, you know see see that link to New Zealand to, to yeah. see that and mm. um, wow he has you know he's he's done uh, incredibly well what you know what Tesla have have achieved under his leadership in, in in China from a production standpoint is is just mind blowing I mean that that factory uh, that they have there you know is outputting. Yeah, I think the, probably the the majority of vehicles that they produce globally across four factories, hundreds of thousands of vehicles. Um, yeah, you know, most yeah. most of it's coming, <clears throat> and their current sort of you know run rate. I think they're able they're able to produce if everything's operating well, and you know, staff aren't taken out by COVID. Yeah. that one factory can probably produce um, equivalent or close to, or maybe more than what they produced. In 2022, in terms of uh, in terms of vehicles, and so yeah. understandable they would be uh, looking at drawing on him a bit further afield. But interesting that he that he's doing more than just the production side. So yeah. obviously a really switched on chap. I think I think you know there is like what people often don't think about with you know famous entrepreneurs such as Elon Musk who are, are in the spotlight a lot is he's often a very capable. Well, there has to be a capable executive team behind them, un, yep. you know, underneath them that are out of the spotlight, getting on with making it all happen. And clearly, those people exist in, in, in Tesla and SpaceX and all these sorts of things. So uh, they probably don't want to be in the spotlight naturally, but they're you know they're obviously doing really really good work to make it all happen. The reading that they had slept at the factory, you know, during during some of the COVID outbreaks over there, which is a very Elon Musk thing to do. So yeah, he's yeah. clearly uh, you know he's clearly spent some time in the sleeping bag. Uh, yeah, you know, yeah, uh, yeah, which is probably one one bit of Musk's approval as well. So uh, good on him. He's, he's obviously doing very well. He's a very very smart, capable uh, capable guy, for sure. Yeah, yeah. I'm you know I'm I'm I'd be fascinated to follow it and see you know is there 
you know, he's got his Kiwi passport. You know, we don't know too much about him. There's there's been you know, bits and pieces on online uh, around you know what he's done before and so on. Um, but uh, yeah, he's he's a very talented leader by um, you know by all. Uh, reports and um, yeah, we'd love to see him uh, back in New Zealand. We'll take we'll take the credit for it as a country for its uh, success. Yeah, that's right. Absolutely. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, that's probably all the um, all the discussion we need to have uh, about Musk this episode. Um, so <laughs> on to uh, um, on to other things. Hard to avoid sometimes, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, CES, what used to be the Consumer Electronics Show. Uh, Always the the big thing at this this mm. time of year, and uh, you know some some years prior to COVID, I would uh, I would go there. Um, it's it is such a full on event, and um, yeah, it was it was really nice to be uh, you know doing family things, catching up with family and friends, and 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 doing other other things and enjoying New Zealand summer. Um, but um, you know for those that that did go, some some pretty interesting. Uh, um, products that were shown off. Often it tends to be things that may be a little bit of a way out, uh, so they're not necessarily available now. Um, <laughs> I think it's by definition pretty much, isn't it, with uh, yeah. CES? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, you know, sometimes it's, yeah. it's you know, it's immediate product launches and so on, so you've, you've sort of got a mix. Um, but, yeah, there were a couple of things that um, um, that were interesting. We'd heard about, um, you know, Sony moving into mm. electric vehicles and a collaboration uh, with Honda, and so they they showed um, they showed that off. Um, their new brand is called Afila, which is the word feel with an A on the beginning and on the end. Um, not sure it sort of I don't know rings out that well for me, but it's fine. It's, uh, uh, it's the car, car the car yep. the car looks pretty cool. The tech and it looks good. Yeah. Um, and you can sort of join up the dots and you know. Possibly they're embedding a PlayStation Five kind of in there <laughs> from an entertainment yeah. uh, perspective, which really on, only Tesla's kind of gone nuts with the with the it, in car is, entertainment. Um, it but it's an course, interesting avenue to differentiate, isn't it? You know, yeah. they seem to be going all in on that, and maybe that'll maybe that'll pay off, maybe it won't, but it certainly feels like an area that could be could be differentiated on pretty well. You know, Sony are some of the mm. best in the world at this. Oh yeah. Uh, so you know. Maybe maybe it's one of those cars where the kids fall in love with it and they convince their parents it's got to be the one because uh, it's incredible and they can play PlayStations or whatever or you know lights and entertainment and all sorts of stuff. It could be pretty amazing. Um, Sony not generally a car company, so it'll be interesting. You know they're talking about using graphics for things like the heads-up display and you know using Unreal Engine, which is interesting to see how that goes. You know I think there are some quite well-established conventions around driving a vehicle. That uh, probably shouldn't be messed with too much, <laughs> um, you know. And it's interesting coming from kind of a, my backgrounds and part of my backgrounds is user experience design, and so I think about these things quite a lot. And you know, there's something I was reading something recently about that tactile hardware controls still actually win out at the end of the day uh, when it comes to things like driving a car. You know, even um, instead of a lot of the touchscreen controls you have now to do things, they actually just they just work better because they're, they're easier to find and more tactile and all that sort of stuff. Um, and so I think there's, we're seeing kind of this move towards, you know, driving with an iPad, like basically driving with an iPad. Uh, and I think that that's going to come back a little bit. I don't think that's actually necessarily the future. There's um, a bit I've, of a balance, isn't it, you know, to I've, get a good 
Yeah, on. it's a bit fiddly and I think it's kind of dangerous in some ways when you're trying to, you know, go three screens deep and, and <laughs> toggle a slide controller just to control something. I think that's kind of dangerous and maybe you need yep. technology to stop you crashing. It's part of the <laughs> it's part of the package. But, you know, there's something to be said for actually some, some well-placed um, tactile hardware controls. So interesting to see how that all shapes up. Mm, mm. Yeah, look, I, I think, uh, yeah, it's quite fascinating. Now, one of the other things that um, caught my attention um, was on the smartphone camera front and technology from um, LG Innotech, uh, who was showing off a optical telephoto zoom lens. And so what they talked about is this would give a smartphone the capability to do a four times up to nine times type of zoom, so like a, a variable zoom mm. without it being, you know, we're used to that on our phones that we can, you know, pinch and zoom and so on, but you know, it's largely done on a digital basis and maybe there's a, a fixed zoom at a particular level mm. that, you know, when you go past two times, <clears> you've got a two-time zoom and it uses that yep. and yep. and so on. But this, yeah, this concept of actually having a good or having an optical zoom in theory should give you a you know a lot better result. Better image, and, yeah. and we have played over the years. In fact, I, I found um, we were doing a bit of a, a tidy up of some um, space that we no, no longer need. So we were, what have we got sitting in there? And there was this uh, Motorola um, phone that we had that you could get these add-on modules for. And one of the modules was a... You know, I guess a, a full zoom camera with a full optical zoom that would, you know, come out, yeah. you know, I don't know, <laughs> six, seven centimeters or, or so. Um, and I remember, tr- you know, trying it at the time and it was like, yes, it was optical, but the result didn't look a million times better than what we're used to for then you've got to carry this kind of big, you got an extra big, hardware big, to carry, big thing yeah. with you. But, it, you know, it was an interesting concept. If they can take that and put that into a, a high end smartphone, I, you know, I think that would, that would be pretty good. And I found, Myself, sort of using a mix of of different mobile devices, depending on where we were. So, you know, there was a oh, the Samsung's good for that, you know, bigger zoom because of the the lens mm. it, it it has, and then you know, I'd use the iPhone for something else and Oppo for something else, and but you know, between three phones, you get some reasonable results. <laughs> um, but, that's a lot of phones yeah, for taking that, so taking one photo. That, that's probably not the the typical sort of thing, but it's a yeah, yeah. it was a way I guess of you know testing and experimenting with the different yeah. devices, and yeah, you know, we went to say do the the whale watching in Kai Kolda, and it was like, well, yep, I want kind of yep, I want to get a little bit closer. Oh, this one doesn't doesn't have yeah quite the best zoom, so I'll jump across to that device and you know to get the yeah. to get the result. So if they can deliver a good optical zoom, I would uh, definitely love to see that in a smartphone. Sure, certainly if it's compact enough that it's that it's convenient enough to use for sure. It might be it might appeal to enough people to make it a viable thing. You know, and I think it's uh, at a certain point you just need physics yeah. to go any further with and so you've seen built-in smartphone cameras lenses just get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger to the point where you know I think my iPhone's got these enormous things kind of chunking on the back of it, uh, and this is kind of just an extension of that that idea of that you need you need physics to take better photos, and if it's convenient and clips on easily enough or whatever, then maybe mm. it maybe it could work. So mm-hmm. now, a couple of cybersecurity things to chat about. Um, one of the things I used while I was away was I wanted our cats not to starve, so um, so I ordered a um, a pet feeder. 
Right. And automated thing, you could basically, you know, fire up the app, you can go and have a look <clears> at the footage. <throat> you could, you know, check that your cats are coming by and it would, would alert you to, you know, to motion and, and so on. Uh, you could see how often they were fed and how much they were fed. And so, um, yeah, it, it worked, worked pretty well. Uh, it worked this pretty one, well. This one, cats, cats stayed alive. Yeah, the cats yep. uh, cats seem to uh, seem to survive and yeah get get fed and so on. Uh, Sky Me was the brand, and for whatever reason, after I got back, I started just doing a little bit of looking into the cybersecurity around mm. these gadgets, and yep. I saw that there were a, there were actually a num a number of issues depending on how you set your network up, and I think from where I was that you know. I was probably reasonably okay in this uh, in this case, but it's a little bit of a reminder of you know, the importance of when we're investing in technology to actually take into consideration you know where these different vendors are at from a from a cybersecurity mm. perspective. And it was an area where there are not a lot of products available. And in my case, I wanted something that could you know, ideally be, you know, have a few weeks worth of, you know, worth of food in it. And so there there was, I only came across this sort of one that had, I think it was able to store 12 litres. Mm. And I thought, yeah, that's really good. Um, but yeah, on the flip side, you you might have some other, uh, you know, associated concerns. So worth, worth thinking about. And then the other thing that you and I would, uh, would discuss before we started the show um, is some of this research that's been done recently into actually cybersecurity on cars and uh, issues across you know big brands like Ferrari, BMW, Rolls Royce, Porsche, and and then the you know more run of the mill ones as well. Mm. It seems as though there's there's a lot of issues. Yeah, I mean I think you know they're kind of related in a way. I mean cars are just, you know online services in some form or another have vulnerabilities and. Uh, Companies that make these products aren't always, you know, don't always have culturally don't have a, a culture of security and, and software and, and security thinking within their teams necessarily, or that you know maybe it's they do at a local level team, but it's the higher higher decision makers in the business don't put enough value in that or don't fund that well enough. We see that time and time again, and so there are a bunch of really common errors that we're seeing just playing out over and over again. You know, uh, people things like endpoints not even using, using secure transport. Protocols not using HTTPS or whatever. Uh, are we seeing you know open just open open access APIs that that have sensitive customer data just exposed on the internet? Really you know, easy stuff really, to fix in the really lot of simple, cases, right? Yeah. But you know they're surprisingly common and require just a, a level of diligence and education around and, and some tooling in some cases just to actually prevent them. I mean, some of the big companies occasionally leave a you know leave a leave an S3 bucket open or something like that, just totally public, and then discover it six months later and issue an apology In, to the anyone's world. Anyone's had access to and issue an apology to the world and say sorry about that. You know, um, yeah. uh, we'll, we'll you know we'll do a retro and try to try to fix it later. So, you know, it, it does take diligence, and I think you know uh, it, it's not an excuse, but I think s- these companies aren't software companies first and foremost. They might they might not realise that they are becoming software companies. You know, car mm. increasingly mm. car companies are becoming yeah. software companies. Yep. Um, Tesla is you know born and bred as a software company. But many of the traditional automotive makers are not. You know, come from from a very different background. Even Internet of Things, you know, device companies are not necessarily. They might not see themselves as software companies. And so, uh, you know, IoT space has been a bit of a trash fire in terms of 
security risks and leaks and things like that. So uh, worth doing a little bit of your own due diligence, especially if you're buying a pet feed or something like that. Look for breach notifications. You know, just go do some googling. Um, you know, they may disclose you know a breach notification, but often it's not. So sort of, it's a little bit hidden, a little bit buried. Uh, they don't like to make a big song and dance out of it, but they they need to talk about it. So, you know, we're seeing some uh, even interestingly some breach notification. Pages have no index settings on them for Google and things like that, so they don't actually appear in search results. Interesting. Uh, you know, companies they sort of have an obligation to disclose, but they they don't want it sort of living forever in search results. Interesting behaviour, not necessarily the right thing to do, but uh, but you know it can be hard to find some of that information. So, mm. but absolutely, mm. you know, whenever you're buying any piece of software, which an IoT device is. You know, it's worth doing a little bit of due diligence. You know, what is that? What are what are the security settings? So, do they even have a security page? Do they even talk about it? Have they had breaches? Where do you where do you go to alert or notify of a breach? You know, do they even have a way to contact them, or are they just sort of a, a you know a stone wall to the rest of the world? So, all those things actually factor in pretty well, and that's just that applies equally to the software world. You know, whether you're provisioning business applications or, or whatever, you know, yeah, you, want, I mean, you want to know about that. Definitely in the, you know, the business world, you need to have robust processes to, yeah. to go through around your Due diligence, your, right? Your it's no different selection. for, it's no different. Yeah. It shouldn't be any different for consumer stuff, really. Yeah. Now, let's hear about Onwardly. Um, sure. You know, share share some of the, the story of where the you're at. of this and, crazy world. And, uh, what, what have you been working on? Because, I, you know, I think there will be, there will be an interest am, amongst listeners in, in what you're doing and what you're offering and, probably be relevant for some of them for sure yeah happy, happy to share so i uh, i mentioned previously i spent uh spent about six or seven years at, at Pushpay, which is a, a, new, a new zealand sort of kiwi unicorn uh, that came up through sort of the, the 2000 the 2010s uh and i was lucky enough to kind of be on the ground floor of that um, in the right place at the right time and and knew one of the founders quite well uh and came in and really helped build out the first version of 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 uh, push pay and really journeyed through the growth of that with with the team and was surrounded by some really, really amazing people. And got to really learn a lot from that experience, uh, you know, particularly around, uh, you know, engineering, but design, but also it crosses over pretty heavily into security as well because, you know, being fintech and payments, you're obviously a security has to be a, a set as a pretty high standard from the very beginning. Definitely. Uh, so we were dealing with all sorts of uh, lovely things like PCI and all that sort of stuff um, really from, from the beginning. Uh, and really throughout that process, throughout the throughout the, the years at Pushpay, developed a you know a keen interest obviously in in in, uh, in design, but also in in startups and engineering and security and sort of those things combined really to kind of go into my next role, which was which was at a local company here called called Whip Around. So I spent about about a year with those folks and found myself really in charge of you know uh, in charge of an engineering group of folks and product group and designers and things like that running R&D and what I, f- what I found very quickly learned and observed in other companies similar to, to us was that the, the usually the most senior technical person in a company is sort of wears the security hat It sort of gets you know, handed to them, right, you're in charge, uh, uh, figure it out. And, um, and, and sometimes people aren't even, asked, aren't even asked to do it, they just, that's kind of an, an implicit expectation. And so as a, as a busy sort of CTO, I had lots and lots of things to do and zero time to do it all in. And so I was looking for answers, looking for things that could leverage my time to get the results that we needed to to implement, uh, you know, particularly one security practices and policies within the business. And I had a look around and really was, wasn't was a lot there in terms of kind of a software play. You know, there was a fantastic level of help you could get from, you know, the consulting folks and they're really good, but they're quite expensive uh, and out of reach for, you know, for quite a lot of companies. 
um, perhaps even to do kind of the, the basics, you know, to start with. And so I uh, started thinking about this gap and why, did, why didn't this exist and put my product hat on, my designer hat on and said, well, why isn't there, where is the zero for security? You know, what they did for accounting, um, why doesn't that exist for the security world? And so I did a bunch of research and talked probably to about 20 companies around the country, mostly kind of startups in the SaaS space. And I was like, okay, what are you doing? How's it, how's it working out for you? Yep, yep. Uh, and it turns out, you know, everyone kind of had a similar set of problems. <laughs> but I kind right. of would group into probably about three to four different problems that they were trying to address in their world. And so around about the same time, we, you know, pandemic hit the world. And very quickly we found ourselves in lockdown with the rest of the country uh, and the rest of the world to some extent at home and it was at that point I, was, I had been researching this and talking to a few people and teaming up with some some smart people and said okay well let's let's go for this and let's do it a bunch of people were trying to figure out their own businesses at the time and pivot and change plans and it seemed like a good time to start a business you know in lockdown uh for better or for worse so at that point really went all in on onwardly that was born where i started designing and programming uh you know the application into 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 being throughout that kind of second half of 2020, 2020. and then uh, uh, teamed up with about six or seven companies to really become the pilot customers for, for, for what would become the platform Great. as it is now. So yeah. so we, we launched, officially launched at the beginning of 2021, uh, so it's been about two years now, um, almost exactly. Congratulations. Um, thanks, yeah, and it's been, a, it's been a crazy ride, you know, and uh, a startup uh, discovered is not for the faint of heart, you know, it's, uh, it's one thing to be part of part of something it's another thing to kind of run your own one yeah. so uh it's a pretty full-on experience but um something that i really wanted to do and i really wanted to be able to help people ultimately make sense and understand security and be have it way more accessible and for mm. it to be become mm. kind of like a first what i talk about is becoming a first class citizen of the business in terms of that work yeah a lot of yeah. that work sort of gets stuffed into various general purpose tooling and forgotten about half the time or just sort of left as you know, priority number seventeen on on a long list of things to do. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and and I want to see that elevated to to becoming you know really a first class citizen of the business, just like any other work. Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, and doing people to being able to do it properly, do it on a tool a tool that makes makes it really easy and can leverage people's time, and really can they can learn uh, the principles of it and 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 really just instill trust and confidence in their own customers but also in their kind of in their stakeholders as well so mm -hmm. it's an interesting challenge it's it's you know you're trying to do it for ultimately for, to preserve and protect the business and reduce risk but you're also trying to do it to engender trust yeah uh, into people um in, both inside and outside the business so it's it's very much a communication exercise as anything as, as much as anything yeah right um so, so there are some particular challenges there in terms of sort of what you found as your sweet spot with um you know with initial um customers how has that sort of landed is it sort of you know big or small is it you know there are particular mm. areas where you've seen you know a, a real you know stronger uptake where people you know get it and realize hey we we need this stuff, and this yep. is this is the this is a, a really good approach to take. Indeed. So we we started actually in the in the in the SaaS kind of startup space to, mm. at the very beginning, uh, partly because we were kind of knew a bunch of companies in that space and could identify with a, a very common set of problems there. You know, startups are reasonably early adopters of things; they can get up and running. There's there's re relatively quick decision making most of the time yeah, good, <laughs> compared good. to traditional businesses, perhaps. Yep. Uh, and and they have a you know they they are, have a growth mandate so they're growing quite fast mm. so they have you know 
they, they have the desire and mandate to, to, to spend money to do those things. Yeah. So all those combination things work quite well. But actually yeah. you've discovered, uh, you know, it's it's really applicable to, to many different types of businesses. And we actually have some non-profit organisations on our platform as well, yep. which we're, which are benefiting a lot from it. And, we, and more recently we've, we've had a lot of interest uh, from kind of more consultative type people, so managed service provider type folks. Mm. Security mm. consultants are a big, a really important partner for us. Right. And other folks who are already looking after customers in a certain capacity but need... Yep. Need uh, need a platform to really to really turbocharge all the work that they're doing. Brilliant. Uh, so that's that's a really big focus for us at the moment is how do we partner with those folks who who we can then help their own customer base and and so far the results seem really promising in that area. So that's going to be a big focus for us going forward as well. That's good. Mm. So an ex- exciting twenty twenty three ahead. Yeah, it's going to be a big year for us. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. an interesting economic conditions. I think everyone's feeling that, and this year will will be probably no different to the last year. So, uh, so everyone's sort of navigating through that storm in a way. Uh, but we've got a lot of really cool plans in the pipeline. We're really excited. The team's um, pumped, ready to go, and uh, I'm, I'm excited. So, yeah, oh, that's yeah, really good. Back into it. Well, we look forward to following progress and you know catching up a l- along the way with uh, with how that goes. Um, yeah, for folks you. that are interested in, in getting in touch, are you accessible on LinkedIn? Or what's yeah, find the, me on LinkedIn. Uh, LinkedIn's probably the best place. I'm on yeah. Twitter, but find me on LinkedIn, Phil Howie, and Omidly is the business name. Mm. Uh, easy to find. Just connect with me, send me a message. Uh, otherwise, you can just Google us, uh, Onwardly, just one word. Yep. You'll find us pretty quick, Omidly.io. Yeah. And uh, we'll love to connect, love to chat. Um, if you're a founder or working in a business, um, please reach out. Love to chat, just hear your story, and, and it's always good to meet folks in the in the local scene. So, great, be great, excellent. Well, thanks very much for joining us. It's it's been great. Thank to, you, uh, thank great you for having me. Up. Also, a big thank you to our show partners, uh, Vodafone, Two Degrees, Spark, HP, and Gorilla Technology. Uh, appreciate their ongoing uh, support uh, of the New Zealand Tech Podcast. And yeah, we'll be back again next week. Now, for those that have been uh, watching the video. Do make sure you go and find NZ Tech Podcast in your uh, podcast app on your phone, so that you've you know you've got those episodes that you might miss from a, a video perspective. So you know if you're new to to audio podcasts, then the likes of Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, easy way to go. If you're listening to the audio but you haven't caught the video, most times on a Tuesday afternoon we will be you know going live, um, and whatever platform that you consume. Uh, video on. We're on. I, I guess LinkedIn's sort of the main main platform. So you can certainly uh, follow myself and the NZ Tech Podcast there on Twitter and Facebook and YouTube as well. Uh, Joe Allen, thank you for great production and uh, keeping us uh, on the air and uh, and going well. Really great to have you on the team. Um, and that's us for this time. So thanks everyone. Thanks Cheers. everyone. Cheers. The New Zealand Tech Podcast. Brought to you by Gorilla Technology, proactive and strategic IT.